Jason Anderson, Ben Bromley uh, is taking this one off. Uh, DC United at long last are retaking the field in front of what will be a full capacity crowd at Audi Field this Saturday for a rematch of the three nothing W over Inter Miami two weeks and one lifetime ago. Uh, if you can't get down to Buzzard Point, you can watch it at eight o'clock this Saturday on NBC Sports Washington or Teleexitos. Watch it on DCUnited.com if you are in the, the nearby region or ESPN Plus if you are further afield. Uh, our friend Lizzie Becherano covers all the soccer for 90men.com. Uh, she's based out of South Florida, so we invited her here to uh, get the lowdown on all things Inter-Miami. If her name sounds familiar to you, to you, it's because she's actually a Black and Red United alum. She used to write for us up here in the nation's capital. So Lizzie, welcome to Filibuster. I'm so honored, and I'm very excited to be talking about my former team and now a current team, um, kind of rival of the emotions, but I'm very, very excited. Well, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll turn into that slide as, as the show <laughs> goes on. We, we have a tradition here. We have to start the interview with this question. What are you drinking? I am drinking a three-shot cappuccino. I have built up my tolerance over quarantine and over the pandemic <laughs> to a point where I think my body doesn't react to caffeine anymore. So 10.30 on a Tuesday, three shots of espresso won't make a slight difference. Respect. I mean, a... that's that's like <laughs> that Cuban heritage of South Florida coming through right there. This just reminds me of like when I was Lizzie's age, because I'm old enough where I have to refer to things. It's that far, it's that far back where I actually have to say that phrase. Um, but I was definitely at, at that point where I was like, yeah, this is fine. This, is, this isn't going to hurt me at all. And it, at the time, it did not. Um, sometime in the future, that will probably change. I hope that you're prepared for it and maybe see it coming and, and don't run into like a caffeine disaster. Um, but yeah. Uh, you seem to be doing fine, so this isn't like a cautionary tale for you right now. Um, no, and um, I'm sad to report that it is definitely my, or at least not my first cup of coffee today. Okay. Um, I have walked up to Starbucks in the past and asked for an extra shot on a flat white, which on the base covers three shots already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did get some strange stares, but went along with it anyway, and it was great. <laughs> I'm at the point now where today I I went to the cantina coffee shop around the corner Um, at one o'clock this afternoon. I was like, can I get a half calf? Because I got to stay up late to record my podcast. But if I get a full caffeinated thing at one o'clock in the afternoon, I will not get to sleep when we're done here. That's that's where I am as far as caffeine. And I drink coffee every morning, but But I'm old enough now that no, I drink I drink half a pot of coffee every morning uh split it with my wife and um yeah but after lunch caffeine is my enemy is one of many enemies i have i need it sometimes but only in limited doses otherwise it will wreck me but the three o'clock coffee i gotta get decaf for that like my when the off Mm. when my office is open the we have a pantry in our office and and the wonderful woman who runs the pantry knows that I am the decaf person and she will hold a cup of decaf for me at three o'clock. 
because she's wonderful That's and nice. the best person on the planet. Miss Apple. Shout out to Miss Apple. She's literally the best human on the planet. It's not uh, me. It's not you, Jason. I'm sorry. Oh, man. Oh, well. You're, 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 probably, you're, you're easily <laughs> top third, but, but you're not up there with Miss Apples yet. Okay. So somewhere, somewhere in the like 1.5 billions. Yeah, just like DC United, you're you're doing well, but but you got some room to grow. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, that seems fair. Uh, Lizzie, uh, Inter Miami not doing so well on or off the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when these teams last met, just you know, not not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, Inter were having probably the worst week ever, uh, losing three three nothing to DC United, and before that, um, being found out and big way for cheating last year five dps on the roster the limit is three um jorge mas the owner got fined the organization got fined they are forfeiting almost three million dollars in allocation money over next year and the year after uh what's the vibe down there at in in fort lauderdale miami yeah so it was definitely interesting um to be at the press box, especially after everything went down. Um, I think the biggest joke of the night was the fact that even with the extra DPs and the cheating, Inter-Miami still couldn't manage to do anything over the first season. So um, that kind of set the tone moving forward and caused a lot of frustration. I think beyond anything, and to me personally, it kind of confirmed the theory I had over Inter-Miami, which is they have this dream to become the next Manchester city where money, fame, stardom, and this idea of like a lavish lifestyle in Miami could sell to anybody and they could become the next great team. However, the MLS has rules. I mean, so does FIFA, but like we've seen with Manchester city, um, things can bend like Laffy Taffy. So here at least it, doesn't happen to be the same way. So Inter-Miami have been struggling with an identity crisis, and I think they will be because they kind of got a reality check with that fine and with everything that went down afterwards and kind of, at least I think, crushed the idea that they had moving forward. Uh, you know, Lizzie, we're, we're talking about this after, as Adam said, that the last game was it was a big, big game for Miami coming off of all that bad news. They finally got a full stadium and they're playing against a team that wasn't, you know, if, if fans coming to that stadium were like, well, DC isn't actually below us in the standings. That's, that's kind of a favorable setup. And the game went completely the other way for them. Um, so I'm kind of wondering how, how is everyone down there feeling about the team on the field after that particular result kind of was like the big exclamation point at the end of all this other stuff that was going wrong they then you know have this three nothing to sit on for three weeks just like have to digest that so definitely not great I think one of the most memorable things of the night was as I was walking out to my car I heard fans talking about DC United and basically the line that stuck with me was DC United doesn't score until they come play against Inter-Miami which kind of culminated into humor, frustration, and I guess a little bit of sadness and disappointment at their team. That again, people or owners like David Beckham sold to be the next great thing, and then they have DPs, which like Ewain 
couldn't really perform. Pizarro was um, interesting because in the weekly media conference during training, Phil Neville had said that he was expecting more from Pizarro and that he was excited, but he was just injured moments before, so he couldn't feature for the team, um, which was, I guess, disappointing and a little bit of a shakeup. People are definitely not happy. I think you could see it in the players' attitude on the pitch as well. Even though most players and Phil Neville himself said that the fine didn't affect anything inside the locker room, I tend to think that beyond the actual monetary value of it, I think it was like a confidence hit that the fact that Inner Miami won't continue to grow in the exponential rate that people like David Beckham promised that it would be. So that was, I think, concerning for everybody. And well, it, the result in and of itself kind of just destroyed any hope that people had. The atmosphere inside the stadium is great. I think you definitely get a Latin vibe. But the players are definitely not adding to that at all. I think it's purely the fans. So before the game uh, in Miami, Jason and I talked on uh, our pregame spaces about Phil Neville's tactical choices. He seemed to be making uh, a a lineup and a, a... forming his tactics almost bespoke to DC United as far as switching to a three in the back and uh, two up front. And it, it looked like a way to, to kind of counter some of the things DC United was trying to do. But that raises a broader question. What is it exactly that Phil Neville wants to do tactically? How does he want his team to play? Cause I'm not sure. I think, but I think he, he's not sure either is what I'm seeing. I think there's, a lack of identity, a lack of structure, I think. And between the managerial changes and everything in the staff that's going on and behind the scenes, there's no structure either. I feel like no one really knows what they're doing that always translates onto the pitch. I feel like if there's no strength, if there's no power to say anything inside the locker room, then moving forward, nothing chaos and I think that's what we've seen I think there's also a disconnect of the players you have half the team that's young South American hopefuls who are willing to establish themselves and then the front you have European veterans who I don't want to say are on their decline but have a different rhythm and tempo that the players in the back have so if you have a disjoint team on the pitch and a managerial staff who really has no idea what's going on then you're gonna see what you saw against dc united and that's not to diminish like dc's efforts or goals or like tactics on the pitch but it really says something that every match you have to tailor your lineup so specifically against the team and fail anyway i think beyond anything it's concerning so Lizzie, you mentioned um, you know some of these older players, and in the last game, uh, with the score what it was, uh, Blaze Matuidi was pulled out early. Um, we're coming off of literally earlier today, uh, Gonzalo Iguain saying that he thought he could come to MLS and play <laughs> with a cigarette in his mouth. Um, I mean, if Pirlo can play with a glass of wine in the center circle, why shouldn't he play with a cigarette in his mouth? Right. Uh, well, the the counter to that is like a, a tiny, the tiniest man DC United has on their roster can push him over like it's no big deal. 
um, <laughs> is what that means. Um, uh, I love but, Andy uh, Nahar so much. <laughs> but but obviously th- this team taking their plan to be let's bring in these huge names. You know, Matuidi won the Men's World Cup the last time it was played. Uh, Gonzalo Higuain scored so many goals in Serie A. These are huge players. Um, but if you're going to build your team around them, you have to be getting the best out of them. Uh, does it feel like to you, at least in the weeks we've had coming into this this next game, do you feel like the team has made any real alteration to how they're doing that? Or is it just going to be more of the like, well, we're going to put them out there in the positions they're supposed to play and hopefully they, they figure it out for themselves? I'm really glad you bring up that article. I had it bookmarked mm-hmm. right next to like this window just because it was so shocking to me mm-hmm. that especially right now in the state that the team is in, the state that he's in, he would even bring that up because not only do you say that you entered this league with a swimming idea of and unrealistic expectations, but you're failing so miserably that it's almost insulting to yourself to say that. Not that the league's um, talent has not been better in progressing on like a yearly basis, but like, why why would you trash yourself like that is my <laughs> question. And this might be a very, very skeptical answer to your question, but I think signing the names that Inter Miami did was a lot of marketing. I don't necessarily think the sport was taken into consideration. I think it was big names. I think it was stardom and a little bit of what LA Galaxy does, but not handled so well, I think, which is strange to me because Beckham was the player who put LA Galaxy on the map and he knows what happened there and everything behind the scenes. So it's weird to me that he can't replicate that same thing. I have a theory that he's so out of tune with the Miami audience that he really thought bringing these players would do the same thing that like he did to LA Galaxy. But Mm. Iguain is not liked by the Argentinian community. Like he is not liked. Pizarro, Mm. he's not necessarily controversial, but I wouldn't call him like Mexico's biggest name grabber or biggest star in the slightest. He was great and, and, He's fine now. I think he has a lot of improving to do, but um, none of these players, not to be lead, like none of these players could make the biggest splash that I think they hoped that they would. So it kind of killed the purpose of actual quality football and the marketing purposes that they hope to accomplish. It did nothing. So again, just a disconnect. And in the back line, you have just young players who don't call the attention that they want to so it's a very it's an odd thing they're definitely not getting the best of them because I genuinely don't think that was the purpose and so mission accomplished I guess (laughs) (laughs) you mentioned the galaxy and the parallels I think are actually um, a little more profound even than than I had realized because in Beckham's first few years with the galaxy they were terrible he had they they let him select the manager and he he chose Rude Hullet to come in and they were really bad. It wasn't until Bruce Arena came in that they they figured things out. Um, and so maybe maybe Beckham's going to have to you know learn some humility again uh, as an owner this time before they 
they can take a step forward. It's going to take two or three years just because of the the roster machinations and the lack of allocation money. Um, but man, I do not envy Inter Miami fans right now. They are in for a tough time going for yeah. the next two, three years at least. Yeah, but I don't think that they realize that. Not not the way. And it, you almost feel like you're in D.C. with like the politics and the spinning of the news. But here, Jorge Mas has taken it upon himself to take this interview and take the fine in the news and spin it so that he comes out the hero. I think during his interview with the Miami Herald, he talked a lot about, well, you have other owners who aren't willing to spend. And so they're willing to remain the standard and mediocre. And we just, well, we got in trouble for putting our heart and soul into this team, which isn't what happened. You broke the law and you failed to comply to MLS rules. But he just kind of became this heroic character for Inter Miami. And obviously David Beckham remains like the heart and soul. He really is just the image and he could do absolutely no wrong in the eyes of fans. I think, and talking about what happened at LA Galaxy, it's interesting because I do think Beckham got out of the deal. Bad seasons or not, I think he got out of the deal what he wanted. But it proves once again that a player doesn't necessarily know what's best on the pitch and what's best in the staff. And I think Beckham didn't think it through. I think he thinks Inter Miami is a passion project that's kind of rolling itself out with like English standards, bringing along Phil Neville in his very traditional ways, I think. But it's just not, it's not working out. I mean, honestly, um, if you've seen Club de Cuervos. Oh, my um, God. Of course I've seen that. Are you <laughs> Inter kidding? Miami is reminding me of Liga MX right now in a way that no MLS club ever has. Best show. Um, I love Club de Cuervos. I, Wonderful show. That's a great parallel. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned Rodolfo Pizarro. How much longer will he be a heron? I mean, you have you have extra time already mooting trades to San Jose, um, rumored sales back to Liga Mekis. Seriously, are his days in Miami numbered? I think they are. I, I really do think they are. I think a lot of the talk of transfer rumors was halted by his large salary and the fact that a lot of Liga Mekis teams couldn't afford it. But then you have Monterrey, who can. And I think personally will, I think it's a great deal for both sides. You have Pizarro who will come back a hero, will have a comfortable life. He'll, I think, do well and do fine. Um, And then you have Inter Miami who is in desperate need of a DP because their three were fine, um, just weren't working. didn't get the goal accomplished at all so I think they need just a little bit of spice into the situation and it'll work out perfectly I do unfortunately for Pizarro I do think when he came to Miami he thought it was a stepping stone to Europe and his style of play at this moment is not up to par to like Europe at all I think his rhythm has slowed down tremendously he does not have the capacity the ability the energy at all so He'll go back to Mexico pretty comfortably, but I don't think he did what he wanted to at Inter-Miami. 
so Lizzie, we I mean, this this whole show has been about how things have been going bad for Miami. Um <laughs> so I kind of want to flip this around because I I I'm leery of, you know, yes, DC won the last game three nothing, but it's also it was the first really good result for DC on the entire year. So we don't think we should get ahead of ourselves here. Um what who is playing well for Miami? What's going right for them? That isn't. I know this. I know this might be a difficult one at this stage, but um, who? I wish this least... were a video podcast because Lizzie's yeah. face right now <laughs> is off the charts. A very good reaction to this question, but yeah, who who is doing doing well enough where you're saying, okay, this is not the problem. Is is this even if it's just one player? Okay, this is definitely not the answer that you want, mm. but the fans are currently the only great thing about the team. You have this culture that kind of just exploded into the stadium and brought their Miami flair. And it's a really hard thing to explain because it truly is a melting pot of different cultures brought together. So you have chance in just pregame atmosphere and then during it, and then you have the pyro. And I think despite the results and despite everything going on backstage like the fans have truly been the best part of the team that I don't think anybody expected I mean Miami's always been a very football centric place because of Latin American culture and historically you have Argentinians Mexicans like Colombians and obviously they have very strong national teams so you always have the roots set in and Miami has been craving a team and so I think, yeah, it's like Beckham did give way for that and people to like join together and come together. Sadly, I don't think the players have been grateful enough of the fans, but the atmosphere is just phenomenal. I don't think I've seen anything like parallel to yet. I think just Miami gives way for that. Like, they're so passionate and they're so, so, so dedicated to a team that's what two years old and not performing well. So they have all the right to just literally leave at halftime, leave the game, even when there was like the two and a half hour rain delay, because why in Miami or Fort Lauderdale would you build a stadium with that atop? It's South Florida. Like, no, but they did. I personally will admit that I left because it was around 11 p.m., I believe, and there was still an hour and a half left. So I left the stadium, but so many fans didn't, and they just stayed under, like, little hoods and just sang. You had these fans singing and chanting. There was no one on the field, no one to hear them, and they just rallied on, and so definitely not the, like, the right answer, but I just think it's out of everything going badly and after all the bad results, and just like the miscommunication that they have, they really should just take a minute to appreciate that they have the most loyal fan base who has every reason not to be. You mentioned the stadium, uh, Inter-Miami planning to build a, a stadium at Freedom Park, uh, which is, I think, version eight of their stadium plan because they've been all over the Miami area with that. What's the latest on on that? So... I believe it was two weeks ago or a week and a half ago that they released renditions of what would be 
the next ideal for the park. I'm going to say I just moved to Brickell 10 minutes from where this ideal stadium would be built. I do not see the lot for it. Like I don't see land. I see skyscrapers. I see David Beckham's penthouse, but I don't, I don't see the land available for it. I think it's a great dream to have, but I do believe they'll be playing in Fort Lauderdale for a while longer. And the stadium there, it's not, it's not bad. I I would compare it to like your typical FIFA stadium or like you're playing like the, the te- it's like the typical um stadium at all. Pretty colors, press box, no spiders. Told Jason about that. Very happy. Um boxes stand like food boxes are standard, but I think we'll be there for a little while more. And by a little I do mean like three years, four years, maybe five. Uh- I'm glad to hear that there's no spiders um, because this was an ongoing, pretty much constant concern. I, I don't yeah. know where they've gone because they haven't come back. Um, That's concerning. But but yeah, of like, all the wildlife to bring over from RFK, spiders is what Audi Field got. No, but like right. these were like like Mister Spiders. <laughs> like they weren't like your itsy bitsy spiders, like. We were genuinely scared of them. And, like, the hottest seat in the house were the ones that, like, did not have webs on top. Right. Scary. You you would occasionally have one that was just, like, I, I think several times we did um, last year, um, especially once the stadium was, uh, so that you didn't get to see this, which I'm sure you'd be glad about um, <laughs> because, of the, because of what happened. Um the the situation was we would be doing the post game zoom from the press box, and so everyone's stuck in their space as is, and you would just get like one spider would just sort of like come down into your field of vision and just sort of hang there, and it's like, well, I, I have something to do. Like, couldn't you have done this before, or can you hold on this until later? Um, yeah, they, they. I don't know what happened over the winter. Maybe someone came through and cleaned them out, or maybe they just decided they wanted to go somewhere else. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you are no longer having to come in and do the the 2019 routine of like check under the desk. Is there yeah. a spider? Is there a spider on my chair? Look up, see where the spiders are up above, and well, then you can start putting your stuff on the part. desk. Yeah, that was the scary part because during the game you'd think you'd be like worried about who's going to score, but no, you'd you'd kind of monitor the spiders above you in case they moved into what direction mm-hmm. to see whether like you're like cardiac would like <laughs> go up because it was really it was intense like you would kind of hope they'd go the other way around but you also like didn't want to wish anyone spiders so right. it was a game on, on its own up there <laughs> oh yeah yeah it was it was it was part of a uh, part of covering the team was also <laughs> spider avoidance yeah and it was it was quite the sport really yeah i feel trained I feel like the spiders that they have down in Florida put our spiders to shame. The ones I've seen in in Florida have been terrifying. Um, e- even just up in the panhandle, honestly. So I can only imagine what, when you get down into the proper subtropical area, what the spiders can do. So I'm really happy that you don't have those. <laughs> <laughs> I try to avoid them at all costs. At absolutely all costs. I'm not a fan. I'm not one with nature. A lot of people are. I'm not one of those people. Um, well, 90 Men just did an interview with 
Edna Lozada, and it was quite interesting to see the new face of DC United. I think that was my biggest question for you guys is, what do you think about the transition? I mean, we always talked about a DC United after Ben Olsen, and it was difficult to imagine, I think. It just became a dynasty that I personally couldn't see an end to, just things were the way they were. So how has that changed? For me, it's hard. Like, I, 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 I think I'm with a lot of fans. I love Hernan Losada. I think he says the right things and he sticks, he, he walks the walk as well. He, he said that they're going to be a team that's going to play on the front foot. Um, not necessarily with possession, but they're going to defend on the front foot and they're going to try to attack the other team's end of the field, both with and without the ball. And they've absolutely done that. Um, the goals haven't really been there yet. Um, you're the, the people you overheard in uh, after the game last time, that DC United really doesn't score except against Miami. They, they weren't wrong, but uh, we talked about in the last episode, some of the underlying metrics are there and this team should be moving up the standings if they keep doing what they've been doing. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited and part of me can't help but compare to the alternate timeline where DC United hires Chris Armas and just how badly that would have gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah T- tfc fans are currently living that timeline and it seems like they're all pretty unhappy with how things are going um i wrote about that for uh freedom kicks that went out to that as we're recording it and it was definitely a like every single time i see a tfc story it's like that could have been us <laughs> it was close it's, it's very much but for the grace of god there go i <laughs> yeah um, i think it's the issue well twofold First, I do think DC United would be telling another story without all the injuries. Like, and Jason, I read your tweets and Freedom Case, and every single time I saw another report, he'd be like, and again, and he's fine? Oh, no, no, he's injured. <laughs> and that's kind of the narrative I've heard. As for Chris in Toronto, like, from all the Josie stories that I've been reading and reporting on, things seem to be a little bit wild um Mm -hmm. i don't know if you guys saw the general manager's quotes that came out recently where all options are open i think those will be quite explored he's still very much training on his own i don't know what's happening behind the scenes but i cannot imagine what he said coming off the pitch could have been so dire that he's forced into isolation once again after COVID, so yeah, I don't understand Chaos. how how Chris Armas takes the Red Bulls, who, as much as I hate it, were one of the best teams in MLS. Uh, they set the points record before LAFC, you know, broke that record the next year. And he says, "What we need is to do less of what was working." And then he goes to Toronto, which was pressing all the time. And then he goes to Toronto. He's like, we are going to press all the time with Josie Altador and Michael Bradley and Pozuelo and all these guys. It doesn't make any sense to press religiously with that team. Like selective pressing, sure. More pressing than they have been under Greg Vanny. You know, sure. But I I, I cannot understand Chris Armas's brain. Ernan Losada's brain, I understand. And that makes this this job as a podcaster, a lot easier and a lot more fun, I think. 
Yeah, I, I think it was very important for DC to go beyond the league um, or at least go with someone who hasn't already coached in the league. Um, we talked about Gonzalo Pineda uh, here when he was a candidate. Um, and that those were really – like those are the options I think DC needed to consider, so I'm glad that they did uh, go in that direction. It seems to have worked out so far. Uh, I think we've been – pretty pleased with what we've seen and knowing that it's not going to be perfect, but it's, you know, there's a path towards being very good and they're sort of, they're mostly following it, give or take some own goals, um, mostly following it. So uh, yeah, I think it's, if you're going to make a change, you have to make a real change. And I think some of the moves they were considering at first wouldn't have felt like particularly substantial changes. Um so yeah, I think uh, I think the, the I think the vibe overall seems to be like everyone's like this is this is all right. I like this guy. Um, it's also it's also kind of you know curious to see Lozada's kind of direct in ways that MLS coaches that have been around aren't direct. Um, and so he'll say things like he's like I don't think we're going to do very well in the first few weeks of the season, um, um, or like we have so many injuries, we're not going to be uh, playing as well as we could. Or like this guy was brought in to be like, you know, pretty far down the roster. And there's no like, there's, he's not putting on the airs that a lot of the coaches do, which I think is, is refreshing because it's, you know, the MLS coach carousel. Um, a lot of those guys kind of sound the same. You know, Chris Armas is going to say the same, same kind of things that, um, any number of coaches around the league would already say. So you're kind of like, well, you know, I already know how this goes. Um, so it's nice to kind of be out in the unknown a little bit. But at the same time, he's also going to make Orlando fans really, really angry by saying that, you know, what they did was valid parking the bus at Audi field, but he would prefer not to win that way. That's not the way he would have chosen to go about it. Orlando fans are still mad about that. They still at well, me on Twitter sometimes about it it's it's wonderful he's in their heads it's wonderful (laughs) Twitter is a wild place it's true it's It's the hell site for a reason (laughs) um yeah i recently compared mexico to england and um, no you're right that comparison was spot on (laughs) well thank you i did get some pretty colorful dms and memes which amusing to say the least. Um, I did get some haters to which my brother texted me, congratulations, you've made it. <laughs> and I feel like I have, you know, when you get that first batch in, right. I'm saying something right. I didn't want to cause a stir with that because I think debate is always healthy. But I think Losada brings a refreshing take, as you said. I think he's a friend, like a breath of fresh air. He's so young. He's honest. And I do believe he wasn't handed the best situation right. i think he's doing what he can which is phenomenal but i don't think fans should and i think they don't expect miracles which is a good thing and he also as you said jason i think other managers would promise but i don't think he's promising anything which is great right. to hear I, you don't want another manager telling you well you know, we couldn't perform today, but that's not what we're going to do moving forward. Like, no, sometimes you need to hear that the team you follow sucks and they will, they might continue to, but they're working on it as much as they can. So I think they're going in a great direction, but yeah, 
Inner Miami's not calling. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's very nice for for fans to hear like the coach. Every coach that's ever taken over a team says like we're going to go out and try and play, you know, with an attacking mindset and everything. And everyone's like, everyone's heard it enough times, especially in MLS. We're like, all right, I know you have to say this, but like, what are you actually going to do? Um, it's nice that so far he's been like, no, no, I did what I said. Um, like I, the thing I said about us pressing everybody is the thing we're going to do. Um, and if we lose a game, then fine. Um, that that's not great, but we'll, the next week, we're just going to try and do the same plan better. Um, and it's not going to be a, no, no, we're an attack minded team. And then you watch them play and you see like, look, we took seven shots in this game and, um, mostly just our defenders kicked the ball up the field and then we waited for it to come back. And then we did that again. Um, so it's nice to be told, like, I'm going to do this thing that you all say you want. And then he actually is trying to do that. Um, I, that goes a long way and it's not just a DC problem. It's an MLS problem where so many of the coaches will tell you one thing. And then when you watch the games, you're like, a lot of these feel exactly the same. Um, so that's very nice in my opinion to get, uh, to get told the, the the lofty stuff and then to actually have it, the attempt is there to deliver on it. It doesn't always work, but the attempt is always there. Yeah. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So, Paul Ariel is loaned to Swansea. Has been previously on, not unseen, but it hasn't been trendy. So, and now you have reports of Diego Rossi being hunted by Everton Tottenham, but on a loan, which mm. the MLS hasn't really been loan prone. So, how, like, what do you think? Is it working? Did it work? Is it good? Yeah, I don't think this one went well. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's it's so difficult because every situation is so specific, and so in this case, it seemed like Ariola was like, look. I haven't played for almost the entire year. I played one time uh, in the entire year of 2020. I need games in this, you know, we've got this massive off season. I need to be playing games during that spell. Um, so I think from his perspective, it was a good idea to go find a league that was uh, going to be competitive for him. Um, I think, unfortunately for him, what he ran into with Swansea was a team that was like, look, we want like a fourth forward just in case our other three forwards get hurt. But if those, th- if those three guys are healthy, the fourth guy will just be training with us and that's all he's ever going to do. Um, and it's, it kind of got driven home when the fir- his first appearance was in the FA cup against man city and Swansea was getting destroyed, but Ariola comes into the game and within like eight immediately minutes, creates a goal. Yeah. He's immediately involved in a goal. Um, and it's like, you know, what else can you do as a player who just arrived as a club, but to come in against a much better opponent and do something that, turns into a goal so you're like okay that's a good first impression right and they're like yeah great uh and then they played him I think 18 more minutes before his injury um that's bad and unfortunately a lot of MLS players a lot of American players run into the club that's waiting for them on the other side is not as invested in them doing well as they are and so they're like you're here to just be one like I need 35 people in my squad and I have 34 you're 35 Uh, And that's it. And that's not a good approach. I understand why clubs have that rationale. um, But I also think there is that there's still some of that. um, And it's not just 
it's not even just American players. It's players from a lot of different countries. Um, it's this idea of like, well, you're not, you're not from one of the countries that we know is full of good soccer players. So maybe you're just here to make up the numbers. And if you play really well for a long time, maybe you'll slowly start to get into the team. So, right. Yeah. It's especially the, hard too. like, it's, it's hard to wrap your brain around if you actually look at how players who've been given a chance have done Landon Donovan was Everton's fans player of the season for the little spell he spent on loan there. Daryl DK almost dragged Barnsley into the premier league uh, this winter. Like it's or this spring rather it, the players that do get a chance often perform really well in England. And yeah, I I know Paul Ariely, he went on extra time this week Uh, and talked about his experience in Swansea. And the reason they went to Swansea is specifically because uh, it's the same ownership or the ownership overlaps a lot with DC United. It's not all the same owners, but there, there is a significant overlap. Steve Kaplan and and Jason Levy and are the controlling uh, stake owners for both clubs. And so DC United wanted him to go to Swansea where he could get training and get minutes but an environment that they had some control over as opposed to going to anywhere else. And then the, the manager just, he, he had his right wing back that he was never going to sub out and never going to, to not start. And he saw Ariel as a, as an attacker, which I do too. I think Ariel is better, closer to goal than he is at the wing back spot for the most part, depending on, you know, who you have, but at this level, certainly, and he he goes in and creates a goal in his first eight minutes on the field and then is basically never given another opportunity. And it's like, what can you do at that point? Yeah. So it sounds like Ariola he, he came back no less committed to DC United and to, you know, being a star in Major League Soccer, uh, which is kind of what Bill Hamid did when when he went to Midland in Denmark. And he came back and all of a sudden he was there, there was no talk of trying to get back to Europe. It was all about like, I'm in my hometown. I want DC United to win everything every year. And I'm going to work to make that happen. And Ariola, you know, it's not his hometown, obviously he's a Southern California boy, but he, he kind of came back and he's like, you know what? I don't have to prove myself overseas. I can prove myself right here. And, you know, he's got a goal already for since coming back from injury. So I'm, I'm excited for what he's going to be doing here. Um, no matter what comes after that. Yeah. And I mean, I think the major thing with all of those is just, you have to vet uh, how much you're truly wanted by the other club. Yeah. Because of course they, they do want you to some extent because they're willing to bring you in. But like, what does that mean? Does that mean they, they just want you to be there so that their training sessions have enough numbers that it works, that the drills they have planned all work, or do they want you to actually be a part of the team? Um, and I think maybe I don't want to put words in Ariola's mouth, but like the difference between going to Swansea and having them being like, well, whatever you're here um, versus he gets back to DC. And once he gets healthy or, you know, he gets, he was captaining the team without Briant in the lineup. He was, he was wearing the armband. Um, Losada early in the preseason called him our best player, uh, Ariola. So um, there's a big difference. I mean, some of that is talent level, you know, a good MLS team is maybe not competing with a championship promotion chasing team. Swansea was right there, Um, but it's not that far away. And it seemed like Swansea saw this situation as well, you're from MLS. So like, you know, you're like a league one level player, Um, which is not really an accurate 
talent reading, but they also have to like bother to like, you know, you, Adam, you brought up Daryl DK. Barnsley was like, this guy is good enough for our league. Uh, we're going to put him in and he's going to play well in our league. And then he played better there than he did here. Um, but some of that comes down to like the club and the coaching staff have to be like, we want you to be here because we think you can do well. Um, we're going to put you in a situation where you can. And rather than being like, yeah, it's nice that you're here because we have injuries. So when those guys come back though, you know, uh, good luck. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's not a great reception to get. Um, and you know, that's, that's the thing that I think MLS players are maybe them and their agents are maybe sometimes struggle with his, and this isn't like a new problem. This has been going on forever is how do you find that good spot to land in? Um, and a lot of the time England ends up not being the right answer because a lot of those teams have so much money that they're like, I already have 30 guys. Um, you know, I went to the, you know, the German league and got a guy and then we got someone from the Polish league and Syria um, and they're all competing for your spot. Um, so maybe finding clubs that are not so wealthy where it's just like, yeah, we spent $5 million. Who cares? Um, which a lot of English clubs, even even the poorer English clubs, you know, putting it in scare quotes, are like, yeah, I spent five million bucks. Who cares? And meanwhile, in MLS, Edison Flores was five million dollars, and he's DC United's record purchase. Okay. Um, so maybe finding clubs that can put you in that spot um, where you're more valuable to them because they can't just go out and. Um, I mean, unfortunately, that means you're not in the Premier League, which is where everyone wants to be but maybe that's not the best first destination. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a complicated one for sure. It's a, it's a tough question because there are so many different ways it can go right or wrong. Right. Well, Daryl's back. He is back uh, because yeah. Barnsley doesn't have like $20 million to spend to, to, make to buy that money. option. Yeah. Yeah. So we should be rejoicing in that and hopefully seeing him very soon. Well, yeah, I, I imagine he'll be overseas again sooner than later. So? Yeah, really? I think Probably. I think even if Orlando doesn't hold out for 20 million, they'll they'll get some price that's between 10 and 20 million dollars from somebody in Europe and and Daryl DK will be gone, Um, which good for him. I mean, yeah, kid from Oklahoma came out of college and just did great for Orlando City. And then, you know, like Jason said, even better for Barnsley. Uh, Lizzie, before we let you go, I want to turn attention back to Inter Miami. Um, my my last question in these interviews is almost always, how would you game plan against the team you cover or the team you support that DC United happens to be playing? I think we saw how to game plan against Miami two weeks ago as we record this. Um, is there anything... That, that DC United should be wary of any traps Phil Neville could be laying or changes he could be making to the team that, that would make what DC United did at drive pink stadium. And that's the first time I've ever said that stadium name correctly. Um, anything that DC United should be looking out for, I guess. Um. That's an interesting question. I don't necessarily think DC United should go into the match trying to replicate what happened because I do think for good and bad, Miami is very spontaneous in what they do. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't because there's, again, as I've said, I don't believe too much strategy behind it. 
Um, I do think Pizarro will be looking to like break into the starting 11. So that will be really interesting and obviously will change some stuff for Inter-Miami. I think he might cause some trouble. I think his style of play might not necessarily be DC United's cup of tea. I don't want to say he'll be a standout player just because, and I think we've seen through history, like, and through Messi and Ronaldo in, in general, you can't have one good player surrounded by 10, like, poster boys, I guess. So <laughs> I think Pizarro will definitely be a difference as opposed to what, like, the previous game. But I don't know. I think it's just, it'll be chaos on the pitch. That's that's my take on it. For good or bad for both teams, I think it'll just be chaos. I don't know what to expect. Well, Pizarro did score the first goal uh, the last time these teams played at Audi Field in front of a full house. So mm-hmm. hopefully that doesn't happen again this time. <laughs> I guess I guess we'll find out on Saturday. Lizzie Becherano <laughs> from 90min.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell our listeners where they can find you online. Thank you so much for having me. I'm on Twitter at Lizzie Vetrano and I'm quite active there. So tune in for another lively debate on national teams as the Euros continue. Ben Definitely Manita. follow her. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, soccer all day, every day right now. It's wonderful. I'm exhausted. Yes, it's great. Mm-hmm. There's uh, and de- hopefully soon um, World Cup qualifiers and Gold Cup. So mm-hmm. that'll yeah. add to it. This this <laughs> summer is just going to be nonstop. Uh, and our listeners should follow Lizzie uh, on Twitter because she's a great follow. Uh, I think we're also a good follow at Filibuster DCU <laughs> at Black and Red U for, I for the website. The filibuster, I mean, account. <laughs> filibuster account's a little weird. Uh, who's in charge of tweeting from there most of the time? I don't know. Whoever it is. Some, uh, some guy. Real confusing. Real confusing. <laughs> Sixth sense of humor. Um, find us, of course, at blackandredunited.com, uh, patreon.com slash filibuster if you want to support us financially. And uh, if you do support us financially, then you're probably listening to this episode before everyone else gets to because that's how it works. Uh, we do two episodes a week, most weeks, and the second one comes out early for patrons. So uh, throw us five bucks a month if you want to get these interviews and other segments a little bit earlier than everyone else. Uh, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, download, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm told ratings and reviews are really helpful to help new people find the podcast. Mostly, though, I like it when you tell other people about the show. Word of mouth has always and will always be the best advertising. For Jason and the absent Ben, and thanking Lizzie Becherano one more time, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. No more spiders in press boxes. No more spiders.